Genesis chapter 15 is where we introduce to Abram and God speaks to him and makes a promise to him. Listen to these words with me if you would. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, I am thy shield. Come on, sir. Come on, sir. Come on, sir. Don't start nothing. Don't start nothing. And thy exceeding yes, great reward. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house, this Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born of my house, one born of my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Thou shalt not be, this shall not be thine heir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Okay. Yes, sir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, okay, okay. Yes, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Verse six is where I want this to land. And he, referring to Abraham, believed in the Lord. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he continued, and it counted to him for righteousness. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the word. Please take your seats. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm so grateful to be in worship with you all today grateful for every single person here today i'm so glad that we can be together i've been thinking about what i was preaching about last week and just for those who who, who may have missed it this is online we do have online messages if you go to silapostolic.org you can get to the messages um, we, we kind of keep them in if you have a podcast app that you use you can get to it from there um, i just want to make sure everybody's aware of that um, but, but the message we talked about last week was this idea of this op- open door he put before us. If you remember in Revelations, he spoke to the, ch- the, the, the church at Philadelphia. And the church of Philadelphia, he was trying to make them understand that you've been good and I've put in front of you an open door. But in order to, to go through an open door, one needs to first see it. And you need to not be afraid of it. Right, because if you, if you see a way out, I think I described, the example I described, I, I think I gave last week was about the leopard. Like the leopard was terrorizing this particular village. Yes, sir, yes, sir. They captured the leopard. They wanted to make sure that they didn't kill the leopard. It was kind of the, in the National Geographic, it was being filmed. They were trying to be as kind as they could to this leopard. He was terrorizing a local farmland and he was stealing sheep and he was stealing all kinds of stuff. They captured this leopard out of kindness. They moved him way out into the bush where he would be happier, out of kindness. They then put him on the back of the truck, put him in the middle of nowhere, get ready to open the door. This leopard does not want to leave. He does not see that the door is open. All he's so worked up and frightened about his situation that he will not leave the truck. So this guy kindly says to himself, let me encourage the the leopard to get out of the the cage. So he starts poking him with a stick from one side of the cage. Get out the door, trying to push him out. Will not leave. And as finally this leopard gets so worked up that he does go out the door, but he goes throughout the door and attacks the guy who's helped him the whole time. Because he doesn't, he's so full of fear and doubt that he starts attacking instead of leaving, instead of using the door to escape, he thinks it's working against him. 
So I'm saying all that to say sometimes open doors don't look like open doors if you're not in the right mindset. <laughs> right? You can have an open door, but if you don't see it, if you don't recognize it, you never go through it. If somebody left a note for me saying um, that my dad and mum left notes or left money for us to use throughout the day, there's five pounds here. We're in the house going starved, thinking that we've, our parents have abandoned us. And they've left a note with five, five, I say five pounds, they probably be 20 pounds today and dollars, right? But you know what I'm saying, right? I've left some money for you, but you don't see the note. So you're thinking, this is a case of child abandonment. No, you didn't read the note left for you. You're not looking at the right thing. So which has kind of occurred to me today that part of what it is to have an open door is you have to trust in the Lord. <laughs> you have to trust in the Lord, not know about him. Like it's easy to know about the Lord. Pretty much everybody knows about the Lord. What they don't have is trust in the Lord. Because when you trust something, not know about something, when you trust something, you're just okay with whatever happens. Because you know that the person who's looking after you is going to take care of it. You're not worried about the intermediary because you know in the end it's going to be okay. I was looking at the word amen this week and how we use it. Amen is used to conclude prayers. That's probably how you all know it. You say, our Father which art in heaven, and we say amen. Right? It, it is a, in the English root, it's um, let it be so. That's the English root of the word. But actually, it's an older word than that. It's actually, it actually has a Hebrew um, root, which is really, really important. And in fact, I've just read to you the scripture with the Hebrew root. Let me go back over that scripture, and you'll probably see it a bit more clearly. Um, right at the verse 6, verse 5, and, and he brought him forth abroad. This is the Lord bringing Abraham abroad. He brings him outside and says, look now toward the heaven. Look at the skies. And tell me, tell the stars if thou able to number them. So, so the Lord is speaking to Abraham. And Abraham has complained to the Lord. He says, look, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have any children. He says, if you're going to do this great work with me, I don't have any children. In fact, I'm an old man at this point. I have nothing. And I'm going to give everything that I have accumulated, I'm going to give to this guy who's a steward in my house. I'm not going to be able to give it to anybody. And the Lord makes a promise to Abraham. He takes him outside and he says, look at the sky. I want you to look at the sky with all the stars in them. And he challenges Abraham. He says, are you able to number them? And Abraham's like, obviously not. Not able to number the stars. There's too many. Yes, sir. Right? And then when uh, the Lord says to him, that's what your, your children are going to be to you. You're not going to be able to number them. And verse 6, the word for believe is actually rooted as amen. It's rooted actually in the Hebrew word amen, which means amen. <laughs> and instead of thinking about this as let it be so, Think about this word as, I trust you. Yeah. Like, like, whatever thing you've just said, yeah. I trust it. Like, I don't, you don't have to tell me how we're going to do it. You don't have to tell me the details. You don't have to tell me the function of how you're going to make this happen. But I trust you. What, what Abraham was saying here was, Amen to the word of the Lord 
that he couldn't understand, even though he couldn't understand it, he was giving the Lord an amen. When you actually go look at what, what he says here in verse 6, and he amend the Lord. He gave an amen to him. And I wonder sometimes if we've lacked the amen, we know who God is. And just at this point, just a kind of a bit of clarification here, Abraham is on a journey. The Lord has told him, get out of your house and go. And Abraham just went. No, no introduction, <laughs> like no creed, no I am the God of, none of that. Literally, God says to Abraham, get up and leave your house and go to a place that I'm going to show you. Like he doesn't even give him directions. He doesn't even give him a plot, he doesn't give him a direction, north, south, just go. Just go and I'll get you there. And what does Abraham do? He gets up and goes. He just goes. What did he do with his action? He amended the Lord. He gave the Lord his amen. He said, I trust, I'm just going, I'm doing it. There's a difference between knowing who the Lord is and trusting the Lord. Like this, like if you ask folk going down the street, probably seven out of 10 of them will say, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. And what they mean to say is, I know the person in the Bible. I've heard of him. The difference, however, between somebody who's a true follower of Christ and somebody who's just heard of him is trust. Is tr who are you trusting? Are you trusting in him? Today, when we kind of speak to people about faith, we really shouldn't be asking whether they know who he is. At this point, most people know exactly who he is. What they don't have is any trust in him. And that's the biggest difference. Amen. When I say amen to the Lord, what I'm saying is a de declaration of my trust in him. When I get up from my prayer, when I finish praying in the morning, when I finish praying at evening, what I'm saying when I say is, Lord, I've thrown all these things at you. Lord, I've told you all these concerns. Lord, I've told you all these problems. Lord, I've told you about my grade situation. I've told you about my work situation. But then when I say the final word, what I'm saying is, Lord, I trust you. Like the final word of my prayer is, I trust you. I don't see how I'm going to get out of this hole I'm in, but I trust you. I don't know how I'm going to mend these relationships that I have, but Lord, I trust you. That's the final word we have for our prayer is, Lord, I'm, I'm sitting here in trust with you. I'm amening you. You tell me that there's, there's children, there's the number of stars, I'm amening you. Abraham had to wrestle with the idea that Sarah was old at this point. They both were, frankly, fundamentally too old for this promise. But he believed the Lord, even though the evidence told him not to. He amen the Lord. He, he, he put in front of the Lord his problem, his issue. He says, Lord, Lord said to him, I'm going to bless you. But he says, well, this is where I need a blessing right here. I don't have anybody to take over my estate, my things, my valuables. And he says, what am I going to do about this, Lord? And then the Lord shows him an impossible thing, shows him the stars in the heaven. Why would we start with the biggest, like, just start with one child, like, like that would be the thing I'd do. Like if I was, you know, but then again, my promise is you don't have to worry about what I say. 
they may or may not come to pass, but what he says, we can trust you. <laughs> so my amen to God is a declaration of trust. So when we sing our songs of praise and we say amen in the middle of it, it's because we're saying, Lord, that's what I want and I'm pulling that into my life. The amen is what I want for this song. When we sing the song, um, every situation I face, I win, I've got the victory. And you hear me over in the corner saying, amen, amen, amen. What I'm saying is, I trust that you're gonna make that happen. And everything works for my good in the end. Amen, amen, amen. Is me saying, I trust you're gonna make this in the end. We've got to start believing the Lord, not just knowing who he is intellectually. Like we can know who he is intellectually, we can know that, yeah, we understand what Jesus did, we understand he was born, we understand he died, but we've got to trust in that person of Jesus. Right? There's a difference between knowing and trusting. Thank you, Lord. I want to introduce a couple more scriptures here. Uh, Mark chapter 5. And verse 21 is a fascinating scripture. Mark chapter 5, and I was looking at this and contrasting it with Mark chapter 6, and hopefully if I'll get to that to this evening, but this today. But Mark chapter 5, I'm going to start at verse 21, in fact. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It's a, one, of the, one of my favorite scriptures. I think I seem to say that a lot. And it's always true. <laughs> like, my favorite scripture is the one I'm reading right now. <laughs> right? Right? One of my favorite scriptures. What we see, though, in Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21, is people putting their trust in Christ long before they have a relationship with him. Like, they're not waiting to find out what he is. They just know who he is. And that knowing of who he is, is enough for them to trust him. Like they're just trusting him. They, they've come, maybe they're in a situation of desperation. They've got nobody else they can trust. It doesn't matter what the situation is as long as they trust. Let's read Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And it reads thus. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him. And he was nigh unto the sea. He was close to the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him. And much people followed him and thronged him. So while Jesus is on his way, so this guy, this guy is in a desperate situation. Jairus is in a desperate situation. His daughter, a 12-year-old daughter, 12-year-old daughter is sick, right? She's very, very sick and she's about to die. And what Jairus knows or what Jairus believes or what Jairus wants to believe, what he wants to trust is that if Jesus can get there in time and lay his hands on his daughter, she has a chance to live. Like, Jairus could be anywhere getting help from anybody. He's a person with authority. But instead of going to anywhere, he goes to the new guy who just showed up in town. He goes to the guy who just got here. 
<laughs> he knows doctors. He would have known doctors. In fact, we know doctors are well respected in first century AD. We know that because Luke is a doctor himself. So the profession is well respected, but he doesn't go find a doctor. He goes somewhere where he trusts. And the trust he has is in Jesus. So let me keep reading. And Jesus went with him and much people followed and thronged him. There's lots of people around Jesus. Jesus is trying to get to this man's daughter, right? He's trying to get to this man's daughter, but there's lots of people around him. They're kind of, you can imagine it would take a while to get there. There's crowds and crowds of people all around him. And Jesus is trying to get there, right? So it's a slow process anyway. But then verse 25 kicks in, right? Somebody else needs Jesus' help on the way to helping Jairus' daughter. Verse 25, and a certain woman which had an issue of blood means she was continually bleeding for how long? 12 years. (laughs) Let me keep going. 26, and she had suffered many things of many physicians. So she'd been to doctors. She'd been to people who were supposed to help her, and in going there, they had made the situation worse. She'd been suffering at the hands of the people who were supposed to help her, and had spent all that she had. She'd made herself broke going to these people to get help, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. Whatever they were trying to do for her didn't help the situation at all. In fact, it had made the situation worse than when it was when it started. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. She just heard of Jesus. If you think about what I've just said, this sounds an awful like Abraham. Abraham didn't know really who he was, was talking to him. There was no Jehovah revelation. There was no self-existent God revelation, but Abraham heard the word of the Lord tell him, get up and leave. And he just left. And he amended the word of Lord and just left. This woman is amending the very person of Jesus. She doesn't have a relationship with him. She doesn't know to say in the name of Jesus. She doesn't know the details of faith, but she just heard of him. And when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. This woman who has had this problem for 12 years is saying to herself, if I can just touch him, I'll be okay. If I can not even touch him, if I can touch his clothes, She's saying, if I can touch something that's touching him, you get that? I'll be okay. If I can touch something that's connected to him, I'll be okay. This is faith. This is trust. That if the problem is anywhere close to Christ, he'll figure out a way to make it good. So let me keep reading. Verse 29, and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, so her continual bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. So immediately, there is a result of her faith, of her trust in the Lord. It's an immediate result. 
But apparently that's not good enough yet because Jesus stops the whole press and the, and the location, and the, the direction we go in, Jesus stops the whole thing. He says, and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? I love when Jesus asks questions because you already know he knows the answer. I am asking this question because you all missed what just happened okay, yes, come on. Yes, in sir. this crowd. Yes, sir. Like I am asking this, you know when teachers have this technique of doing this also? Yes, sir. They will say to a student, <laughs> have a couple of students, they will ask a student a question even though they know the answer to the question. The point is, do you know the answer to the question? Do you know? Like, are you, you're not the teacher now, you're the student. But I'm asking you a question to elicit a response from you. Jesus is asking the question, who touched me? Did you all see what just happened in this crowd? And the obvious response from the students are, and his disciples said unto him, thou seest them, don't you see the crowd? Don't you see the thronging around you? Don't you see the people are around you, pushing you around and jostling you and pushing upon you? Everybody's trying to get a piece of you right now. Everybody wants to touch you. What do you mean somebody touched you? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. First of all, he said, who touched me? Then he looked straight at her, meaning you know he knew who touched him. <laughs> right? That's what the scripture says. Who touched me? Yes, sir. <laughs> Looked right at her. I know you touched me. In fact, you didn't even touch me. You touched something that was connected to me. <laughs> Verse 33. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing that was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. I can only imagine. Let me give you some details about this woman for a second. I have to get into some medical details here. She has been literally bleeding for 12 straight years, right? Unfortunately, what that means under the ceremonial kind of edicts of Jewish law is that at that time, she's considered unclean. She's considered unclean. And for her, unfortunately, because it wasn't able to stop at any point, she's continually considered unclean for 12 years. You say, well, what's so bad about that? The problem is that she has to isolate herself from her family, her friends, and her community. That means for 12 years, 12 years this woman has been in isolation, unable to hold and be hugged, unable to take care of her children, unable to take care of her husband, unable to have relationships. She has been by herself for 12 years. I need you to understand how the act of, the very act of touching Jesus was a wrong thing to do. She knew it because everything she touches then becomes, un becomes ceremonially unclean too. So if she was to touch a cup, now that cup is ceremonially unclean. So she knew she was taking a chance by touching Jesus, the rabbi, the master, the teacher. Right? She, had, she was thinking to herself, maybe I'll make him unclean. But she trusted that even with her state, she could touch Jesus and he would, be un he would still be clean and she would be made whole. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It took a certain kind of courage to even be in the crowd. Yes, sir. Okay. Because yes, sir. everybody she's bumping against, yes, sir. technically she's making them unclean too. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Everybody she's close to, yes, she's making them unclean. Yes, <laughs> but she gets to Jesus, and instead of making him unclean, yes, sir. he makes her clean. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Instead of him being impacted, she gets impacted. Because why? She trusted in the guy that just showed up in town. <laughs> and his disciples said unto him, Seest thou the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that has done this thing. The other thing I want to take from this as well is that everybody in this crowd... Yes, was touching Jesus, yes, but only one person touched Jesus. Like everybody's bumping up against him. Everybody's in geographic location with him. Everybody's touching somebody who's touching him. But the only person who gets through is the one who trusts. I don't care how much you know him. I want you to trust him. I don't care how, how much stats you can pull out of the Bible and say I know about. Yes, I want you to trust him. Verse 34, and he said unto her, verse 33, but the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and, tell, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. She had to confess to her current state before that day. She had to confess to all the people, hey, I've bumped up all against you and you are all unceremoniously clean. And in fact, I think the amount of time you all have to isolate now is seven to eight days. You have to be in isolation, right? Because I've bumped against you. She told the truth. Says, I was trying to get to Jesus. I've bumped against all y'all, but he's made me clean. I can imagine that the crowd must have been furious, right? They found out what she did. <laughs> But look what Jesus says. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee old. Let's just be clear about something. It wasn't the garment touching that made her old. Because if it was, Jesus would have said so. It wasn't how close she got to Jesus that made her old. Because if that was the case, Jesus would have said so. What he actually said is your faith, your trust, your belief has made you whole. Sometimes we think it's our actions that's doing it. No, it's our trust. Because if it was in our actions, then anybody could just... Look, if the action to believe in Jesus was taking one, two, three steps, everybody who takes three steps would have it. Right? But it's not. It's taking these three steps and trusting that Jesus is with you every one of those three steps. It's about trust. Let me keep going here. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And when he yet spake, so we're, we're on our way to do a miracle. We do a miracle in transit, in, en route. We do a miracle. And then we get to verse 35. While he yet spake, so while he's telling her she's whole, she's delivered, she's well. Somebody else comes up to Jesus. There came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Why are you bothering the teacher, the rabbi at this point? Your daughter's dead. It's too late. Maybe the crowd was slowing us down too much. 
maybe the additional message Jesus had to give to the other woman was too much time taken off the clock for us to get where it is, but whatever the situation is, the daughter's dead and leave him be. Here's the thing, it's not Jairus at this point that is pointing out that there's still work to be done. It's Jesus at this point. That means Jairus was assuming in his mind that all Jesus could, could do was heal her. And that all he could do was potentially lay hands on her and bring her to be well again. What Jairus' problem is, is that he doesn't understand the difference between somebody who is a healer and somebody who is the resurrection. You see, when you are the resurrection, <laughs> death isn't a problem for you. Like, like, that's why I say, I am not concerned when people don't know enough about Jesus. That's not my main concern. My main concern is, do you trust him? Like, we can get you learnt up on who Jesus is. That's, the Bible's here for a reason. We can get you, we can get you where you need to go. But do you trust him? That's the main thing. So Jesus isn't, doesn't quit when he, when he realizes that this guy no longer thinks there's something to be done. Jesus literally invites himself into his house. Let's keep reading. And Jesus, as, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. I'm going to rephrase that a little bit to be in line with what we've just been saying. Be not afraid, only trust. Like you've come to me already as a healer, and I'm telling you, I'm about to show you that I'm the resurrection and the life too. Like I can get you where you need to know about who I am, but you at least, need, at least need me in the room so I can show you who I can be to you. Let's keep going. And verse 37 says, And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult, the kind of commotion going on at the house, and them that wept and wailed greatly. There is a tradition within the Jewish community at this time to have professional um, mourners. They're, they're designed to help show how much you've lost. So they will wail and cry professionally for a paid amount of money. And they will literally show how important the loss was to the household and to the community. So apparently whoever was taking care of the household had already paid for people to come in and mourn. And I, I imagine there were people mourning, actually legitimately mourning, but there were people there specifically to mourn for this girl. And this girl that was lost is also 12 years old. If you remember, this woman who had the issue of blood, 12, 12 years. The woman, this girl we find out from other scriptures, she's also been doing for 12 years. I don't believe any that thing that happened in this scripture was by accident. Not one thing, the setup for this moment was 12 years in the making. Like, was 12 years waiting to get to this moment so that you would understand what it is to trust. This girl born 12 years ago, this woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, and we're getting here to help her. You realize that we can do nothing but trust in the Lord. I don't care how long your problem's been. I don't care how long you've had to deal with it. 
I don't care what things have come together to create the problem. But I know a God who is greater than anything. I don't want you to be afraid just because the thing that's working against you has been going for 12 years. I want you to not be afraid and to believe. I don't care how long you've endured it, how long you've suffered it, how long you think it has been bad, the fact that it's overwhelming, I want you to believe. I want you to trust. So he... The scripture says in verse 38, And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, seeth the chaos, of them wept and wailed greatly. And when he was coming, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. This requires trust. Like, everybody's telling me she's dead. Everybody's telling me the problem is over. Like, this, this cannot possibly be solved by you this time. We haven't seen this. We don't know how this could be. And Jesus is saying, eh, this is as simple as waking somebody up from sleep. That's how straightforward this problem is to me. This is like a 12-year-old, I've got to wake you up for school. <laughs> This isn't some big to-do for me. This is something big for you, and you will realize this isn't a big deal for me if you would trust. Why are you making such a big deal? Why are you crying like this? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. Isn't it amazing? This is the jaguar that won't get out of the cage. You're attacking the thing that is there to help. That's what they're doing right now. The scripture says they laughed him to scorn. <laughs> and they're trying, instead of receiving the trust okay, yes. and receiving the help, we are getting out and attacking the Christ. They're getting out and attacking the Christ, even though he's the one there to help. But when he had put them all out, <laughs> I love that, <laughs> just kicked them out of their own house. I only need the disciples here with me. Kick them out. He taketh father and mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth into where the damsel was lying. Just took her family only. Enters in, and he took the damsel by the hand, which said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Just a few simple words. He speaks to this damsel, to this girl. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. This moment has been building, this 12-year-old damsel and this woman who was, had an issue of blood were sitting up for this perfect moment to be in, in relationship with Christ. But it wasn't enough just to be closed. We have to trust. You had to trust that when you reached and touched the hem of his garment, your faith would make you whole. You had to trust that even though you had news that the child was dead, that somehow if I could get him home and we could be isolated with him, he would be able to make her raise up from the grave. It's not just about knowing. It's about trusting. The word amen is supposed to allow us to think in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew um, tongue, is supposed to make us think about complete and utter trust. The way a child is in a mother's arms doesn't think about how, how father is to fall. 
They don't think about that. When you have them in their little babe, it's complete trust. Absolute removal of doubt. They're not even thinking about it. You're being held, that's just all good. We don't think about none of the consequences, how high we are up, whether you're concentrating or not, you just trust you're, you're being held. Right? That's what this idea of trust is supposed to do. Trust in the Lord. The scripture tells us that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth or trusts not shall be damned. It just makes it clear that our function, our relationship with Christ is based in trust. When you think about your relationship with Christ, I don't want you to think about what the things you've ticked off the list are, what things you think you know. You define your relationship with Christ in how much you trust him. I ask the Lord to be a blessing upon us. I'm asking the Lord to build our trust and our faith in him. I believe if we believe and trust in him, that anything is possible for us. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the